0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to storm the beaches of tyranny to promote freedom here at CR Podcast. It is Tuesday, June 6th, 79th anniversary of the greatest storming of the beaches. The thing is, we don't need to storm physical beaches we don't need to put our lives in danger as the 29th infantry did on that day lost so many people can't believe it was 79 years ago such a such a sad day as well as an invigorating day if you think about it just the fact that within the last 5 7 years we've lost almost all of the remaining uh, individuals from Omaha Beach all those veterans particularly those of that first wave in the 116th Infantry Regiment of the 29th. Um, It was those boys who gave us the ultimate sacrifice that led to America's rise, America's greatness. But that greatness, as we now know, post-World War II gave rise to a different sort of Operation Overlord. That power that was given to this country on the backs of that sacrifice was abused by the political leadership for far too long, possibly going back almost to that point, that now we've gone from the greatest generation to the sickest generation. (laughs) And when I say sick, I mean body, soul, mind, fiscally, economically, everything. This is the sickest generation. So we're going to go through each and every one of those components today how far we have fallen but never forget we don't even have to do that all we need is bravery on the political front oh my gosh we have to suffer through a government shutdown you you, you look at all the things that these republicans talked about during the debt ceiling fight and you contrast it to these you know 18 to 30 year olds, people basically born between 1915 and 1925 and what they were willing to go through, it's just, it is so unbelievable how far we have fallen so quickly. Now, if we have time today, we are going to go through some of the latest data on the COVID vaccines and how they're causing long-term deaths. So with that in mind, you might want to support our sponsor and help yourselves and your family prepare for an untimely death policy genius um they're not an insurance company but they are an online aggregator that gives you the best apples to apples quotes on life insurance policies uh look i got a wife and four kids and i'm the primary breadwinner Obviously, the responsible thing to do is to take out enough. You, and, and for a family like that, you really often need up to a million in insurance. Rarely do employer-sponsored life insurance plans give you nearly that much, often just a fraction of it. Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. It makes it much easier to compare at the lowest rate so you could filter for you know things that don't require or plans that don't require uh, these exams or other invasive information. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 per month, not for 500k but for a million in coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. They also have licensed agents who can help you uh, find the p- plan that best fits your needs. And again, they work for you. Uh, there's no added fees. They don't share your personal details. So head over to policygenius.com slash Daniel like I did, and you will find very quickly within a couple minutes, you put in the information, you get apples to apples comparison. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy that insurance at policygenius.com Daniel. So here we are, from the greatest generation to the sickest generation. Could you imagine if those people, again, born between 1915, 1925, it's so sad that the last couple of years is really when we lost pretty much all of them. You have to be at least 100 years old. And uh, I don't know if there are any left in the 116th. Maybe there are. But imagine if you would have given them a vision you're about to die on those beaches. in that Company A, I mean, more than half of them died. And they were given a vision of transgenderism, of government poisoning its own people, which, sadly, as we now know, that started with Operation Paperclip right after World War II, the biomedical security state, the invasion at our own border, government theft, what government does to diminish our life, liberty, and property. This is what you're fighting for. It is, it, 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 just, it is so jarring on a day like today. But nonetheless, I always felt that June 6th should have been a national holiday. It, it really was the greatest, in, in some respects, the greatest day in American history. And not just the military might, but the soulfulness, the spiritual might behind that generation, behind the people born at that era. And we think now, 79 years later, what do we have to show for it? The State Department, this is from Daniel Greenfield of Front Page Mag. State Department pushes LGQFU pride. Everywhere except the Muslim world is the funniest thing. In June, the United States embassies across the world got ready for the biggest patriotic celebration of the year. Flags are taken out of the attic, ironed and hoisted, in rainbow swirls across the sky. From Europe to Latin America to Asia, Africa and Oceania, the new flag of the nation flies across what used to be the worldwide diplomatic ad of the U.S., In the Vatican City, the U.S. Embassy flew the rainbow flag, tweeted it stands with the LQFU plus minus community in Jerusalem. And this is a real heartbreaker. Um, The ambassador had a message for that as well. All over the place. Paris, Haiti, you name it. The United States Embassy in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, bafflingly neglected so-called Pride Month. In Islamabad, Pakistan... Insult was added to injury when the embassy instead commemorated um, Erz, a festival marking the death of a Sufi saint without even a single rainbow emoji in view. So our government is so perfectly on target in terms of its national religion, the hierarchy of the rainbow, no matter how strong it is, it doesn't trump Islam. Very interesting. But this, my friends, is sadly 79 years ago. years later what is remaining... Of that sacrifice. But here's the key thing. It doesn't have to be this way. We are right now at a crossroads in this rainbow jihad. Where on the one hand, because the other side overextended itself so, so much. So far beyond the Overton window of where this already brainwashed society itself is we have a huge opportunity to push back. But you have to push back by shoving that overtin window over just as much, with as much velocity from whence it came. In other words, it's not enough just to say, all right, no castration for minors and men and female sports. We need to cut out this entire proposition of codifying normalcy into a man being a woman. The entire homosexual agenda needs to be extirpated from every area of our body, politic, our culture, our law, everything. We can't make the same mistake we made about 17, 18 years ago when we thought we were winning on the marriage issue, and then we, and we were in all the states, just like we're winning right now, you see with the castration and female sports stuff. But then we allowed the Republicans to to sabotage that fight. Now is the time where we have to step on the gas pedal. It doesn't take a fraction of the bravery as it took to storm the beaches of Normandy, to storm the rainbow mental illness. But it's bravery we lack in this political class. We're still behind, even in some red states, behind uh, Europe. I saw Norway join Finland, Sweden, the UK in banning pu- puberty blockers and things like that for minors. So you see, even there, they're ahead of you know, states like Ohio where we can't even get things like that passed. We are at a crossroads. But instead we have Republicans left and right running around using the acronym, legitimizing and saying, I stand for the LQFU community. Um, they don't want this. Wait, what, what, what does that mean? So we are at a crossroads right now where we could proverbially storm the beaches of the Rainbow Jihad and actually win. And it requires one one millionth Of the bravery and courage that our grandparents exhibited storming those beaches. Do we have it? Well, that's going to depend as we've been talking about the last couple of days on leadership. The Trump campaign is selling rainbow merchandise. Promoting June when it should be a month of patriotic pride in D-Day. Instead, it's pride in Leviticus. And I don't mean the Bible. I mean all the um, decadent behavior that's warned against in Leviticus. That is why it is so important. The worst thing you can do is allow them to normalize the premise of the Rainbow Jihad on MAGA, America First, the hard right, whatever you want to call it. I'm telling you, to me, this is one of my biggest concerns about Trump remaining as a fixture and a leader on the right. Is this Bruce Jenner agenda, Rick Greenell agenda around him? That needs to be cut out completely. Cut out completely. Before we go on, I just want to promote our main sponsor today is iTarget Pro. If you want to train in muscle memory, dry fire on how to properly manipulate a handgun like a pro, head over to iTargetPro.com, offer code CR, and basically in one training session, you will make back the amount of money that you would have spent on purchasing ammo, which is very expensive these days. They have a new product we talk about a lot, iTarget Cube. You basically have these laser... You have, you have a laser dummy bullet in your gun and it comes in all sorts of calibers from nine millimeter to 223 in your rifle and you put it in you download the app and then you put these cubes around and you aim at them you could have several of them stationed throughout the house do clearing drills um move, you practice moving and shooting and it, it totally it times you it so it 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 tracks your accuracy and your timing as well. You could actually even compete with friends, have have clearing drills. You just have to make sure that you always follow the safety rules of pointing in a safe direction, not having any real ammo around, um, and making sure no one else is in the house. So right now, save 10% plus free shipping with offer code CR when you go to itargetpro.com. That's the letter I, targetpro.com. Okay, so, you know, I, I want to just show how deeply this runs. It's not just Donald Trump. I mean, his chief rival eight years ago was Ted Cruz. And Ted, I didn't get a chance to to talk about this last week, but some of you might have noticed, on Memorial Day, of all things, he tweets out something about complaining about Uganda's new law on aggravated homosexuality. He's like, this is terrible, this is unacceptable. And Look, I haven't looked into everything they're doing and yeah, obviously it's not something that's going to pass in America. But it authorizes a death penalty for aggravated homosexuality, but that is defined as that is defined as um child rape. You know, homosexual child rape. So I mean, at least that part of the law, I don't disagree with. And yet he is sitting and yelping about it at a time when our government is exporting the rainbow jihad through the state department. We exported freedom on January on June 6, 1944. Now we export the most disgusting de-civilization rather than saving civilization. And his issue is he thinks we should lean in heavily on Uganda Luckily, it didn't work, and actually the people there are protesting the Western interference, not the law. After signing the law, President Museveni told Parliament, this is very interesting, Europe is lost. They also want us to be lost. In order to fight, we must be patriotic. Um, and he talked about They fear sacrifice, they fear difficulties, and somebody says, I will give you money if you become a prostitute. Those who, like an easy life, end up being prostitutes, and that's what they want us to be. They want Africa to be prostitutes doing what they don't believe in because we want money. And he's basically telling them not to sell out. And it's interesting how you look in this post-enlightenment society that we now live in, Africa is more enlightened than the West because we've fallen off the cliff. We have fallen off the cliff to the sickest generation. So we're at a crossroads in this fight against the Rainbow Jihad, but there's now a very complicated problem, as I warned about, the courts. And there's a lot of lessons here I want to talk about this Tennessee judge over the weekend that ruled against the state's law trying to ban these adult, transgender, you know, nudity things. Now, my first book, Before the Rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, in 2016, I, I wrote a book, Stolen Sovereignty. It's still available from Post Hill Press, warning that anything you ever wanted a red state to do or a Republican administration in the White House, to do. If we accede to the premise of judicial supremacism, the courts will just invalidate everything we do. Now, the only reason we don't have this problem more often is because we rarely do good things in the red states because they're really blue states. But this is the one thing, if you had to take a look, if you had to kind of give a broad view of this past legislative session throughout the country... You'd say the one issue he succeeded on, not in all states, but enough of them, is at least fighting back against the drag shows and the castration, things like that. In comes a Trump-appointed judge, Thomas Parker, and he ruled that the, the, the bill that was passed in Tennessee, Adult Entertainment Act, and it banned these uh, performances for minors is unconstitutionally vague and substantially overbroad and violates the First Amendment. So here we have a Trump-appointed judge in Tennessee. The law passes almost unanimously who says that a state does not have the powers to prevent obscene exposure to minors, but that same state there was a federal judge, if you remember, ruled in Knox County, One of the most conservative areas, for months on end, kids didn't have the right to breathe. They had to wear a mask. These are the courts of Sodom and Gomorrah. The court therefore holds and declares that the Adult Entertainment Act is an unconstitutional restriction on speech. The court concludes that the AEA violates the First Amendment as incorporated to Tennessee... By the 14th Amendment, it cannot be enforced consistently with the supreme law of the land, United States Constitution. Now, I think this is only Shelby County, which is in Mem- you know, Memphis, the largest county. I don't think it's the rest of the state. So let, let, let's unpack this a little bit. So when I saw this ruling, I was like, wait a minute. We've had laws throughout our history governing obscenity, lewdness, and indecent exposure— even for adults, since since our founding. So what's up with this? Well, he's saying it's unconstitutionally vague. Well, it bans this adult cabaret entertainment. It defines that as adult-oriented performances that are harmful to minors, as such term is defined under present law, feature go-go dancers, exotic dancers, strippers, male or female impersonators, or similar entertainers, and include... A single performance or multiple performances by an entertainer, and they define harmful to minors as harm that qualify that that as that quality of any description or representation in whatever form of nudity, sexual excitement, sexual conduct, excess violence, or masochist abuse. That's pretty darn specific, if you ask me. But he's like, no, that, that's unconstitutional overbroad that you could, you might just, just give a speech, and, and if a minor could see it, you'll be arrested. And that violates the First Amendment. So, this is a Trump appointed judge. Now, in fact, really, this is the opposite. The judge, quite the contrary, the judge by protecting homosexual behavior over other forms of public lewdness from regulation of indecent exposure, right? Because you can't do this other, I mean, you couldn't do men and female stuff like that. But by protecting somehow this, they're making that a, a favored political class and elevating it to that of a national religion. Parker claims that basically if you, so he focuses on the legislative intent and he goes through the transcripts rather than focusing on the text itself, and he's like, oh, they're going after, basically they're discriminating against the rainbow jihad. But that, that's immaterial to this, because it's the rainbow jihad that 99% of the time is holding these parades and marches in public doing that. It's not like if you had heterosexual lewdness doing the same thing, it would also be prohibited under the bill. So it's not discriminatory, but here we go. This is where we're at. In Tempe, Arizona, there was a drag performance that had a rapper sing about anal sex and turning people gay. So, so wait, so according to this judge, you're allowed to regulate it if it talks about the normal way of doing it, but not that? That's something special? Back when our country was much freer and much more adherent to the First Amendment... We had stricter laws against public displays of lewd and lascivious behavior. Largely still on the books in a lot of states, by the way. Even at a federal level, we had the Comstock Act of 1873, which prohibited mailing obscene lewd or lascivious material, which included sex ed, by the way. that was, If anything, that was vaguer than... had more vagueness to it than this law. And remember, now this is not the same judge, but a a Tennessee federal judge forced children in Knox County to mask eight hours a day on end. Doesn't breathing sound like a much greater right that should be subject to a more rigorous standard of scrutiny than the right for anyone, even an adult, to access public displays of satanic rituals and homosexual fetishes? My fear is that federal judges across the country will now be emboldened to go after all these laws. And um, and we're screwed. This has been elevated to a national religion. I don't know if you guys saw, but there was a story in New York City. Um, basically, there was this locker room of... State or no city employees. Uh, like it was, it was a bus depot. There were bus drivers, and there were female ones, and there were male ones. So they had a female se- separate locker room, and a man who wanted to be a woman showered there, and literally, like in front of the other women, and then he was filming them. So one of the the, the women knocked the the thing out of his hand, and she was arrested for assault. But this guy was totally, totally okay for him to do his thing. Is this the country that the boys of the 116th Infantry Regiment went into those 50 Cal German machine guns? Which brings me back to Trump's judicial nominees. It's a very important point. Another forgotten point. Now, I don't believe in judicial supremacy to begin with. But if you're going to, which we do, it's important to bat a 1,000. Trump had a lot of good judicial appointments, but you had a lot of them like Parker. And there's a couple things here. Number one, I looked back and I saw Parker was unanimously confirmed. Beware of any Republican nominee that gets unanimous Democrat support. They cannot be good. They never are. And there's a number of them. Now, there's one thing if Democrats have control of the Senate while you have a Republican president, then you're kind of forced. But, but you know, they, they had control. In fact, Trump had control of the Senate the entire time. He lost the House the last two years, but he had the Senate. But there's a huge difference between, let's say, a Clarence Thomas and a Brett Kavanaugh. And not just on the Supreme Court, but on the appellate courts, on the district courts as well. Democrats bat a thousand. There's never a guy that you know they appoint that will make a mistake and rule in our favor on an issue like this. So you have to fill every single vacancy you have with someone that's like a Clarence Thomas. So DeSantis made an important point because this is his expertise. He's a lawyer, very into the Constitution, and he's like, hey, you know, Clarence Thomas himself is going to retire uh, on the watch of the next Republican president. That's for sure. Maybe even Alito. And you need, you you know, it's not good enough just to have a run-of-the-mill Republican nominee for that. Trump will just get handed a list by the Federalist Society, which in itself is problematic. And look, I don't even blame him so much for that. This is just not his forte. But make no mistake about it. The left bats a thousand. We did not. So here we are stuck with the fact that even... See, this is why I'm not so into this business of trying to control blue states because you're not going to control them anyway. They're going to do what they want. They'll defy the feds. They'll defy the courts. So I'd rather weaken judicial supremacism because we're not going to benefit from it. We didn't benefit from it in the blue states. We thought with the COVID fascism, you're in a blue state. We could appeal to the courts. No. Screw you. The courts refuse to get involved. It wasn't until recently we started to get some victories some places, but when it actually mattered, there was nothing a state couldn't do for public health. Yet when it comes to things that are deeply rooted in history and tradition, protecting against public display of obscenity, somehow they're like, no, that violates the Constitution. Again, a country upside down, inside out. The sickest generation imaginable. And just one more thing, one more point on this. There is a big need to focus on state Supreme Court justice races. Last week, the Oklahoma Supreme Court struck down two state abortion laws, six to three, citing an inherent right of a pregnant woman to terminate the pregnancy. Um... This is a big problem. We need now now, I know in um, Oklahoma, it's appointed by the governor. There's a whole crazy process there that that needs to be changed. Um, but but in most states, even if they're you know appointed originally by the, by a governor or tribunal or whatever, there are retention ballots over time. We need better focus on that in the red states because we're still leaving a lot on the table. And that's another thing, by the way, DeSantis did very successfully in Florida um, with his judicial picks. He actually talked about that when he was on my show in 2018 running for governor. He said that was because he saw just based on the demographics on the court that he would have the greatest opportunity of any governor in Florida history to make his mark on the court. And he was like, believe me, I'm going to floor the gas pedal on that. And I think he did. Um, This is a big thing we need to focus on better because, first of all, you have the federal courts, but then you also have the state courts that, are, that stand for election, and we are not focused on that enough. Because to the extent we even fight in these states to change things, guess what? The left just turns to the courts and turns right states into blue states. With a with flick, flick of a wrist, a federal judge could make Tennessee as transgender as California a very, very serious problem. Very serious problem. Now before I get to the physical ailment, we're talking about the spiritual sickness of this country. Um, just one thing now that we're talking about state legislatures, again, you could join our Liberty Strike force teams at conaction.network. Um, On Saturday, our Georgia Strike force team is working on a vote at this uh, among the Georgia Republican Party officials to switch their primaries to state conventions. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. We've talked about this a lot over the years, that the only way to fundamentally change the party quickly is to move away from big money-driven popular primaries statewide that you need so much money to win with. And um, we have to move over to state conventions where you, know, you, you your precinct elects, a guy that's knowledgeable that you trust in your neighborhood. Hey, I want the best conservative. I don't know who's who you have 10 guys running in an open, you know, red district in the house. You tell me the best guy. So it's the people, it's the high information people voting. So you could have lying ads all you want. And I always give the example of Mitt Romney running for Senate in Utah. He had more money in name ID than anyone around. Um, it was a, a legislator ran against him in the primary a state someone from the state legislature. He actually won the convention against Romney, but Romney crushed in the primary because he had all the money and name ID. And, and that leads me to another thing that's also important. A lot of you have heard this, this audio from Nikki Haley. You know what? Let, let's, let's play the audio here. Nikki Haley complaining about DeSantis taking money from Disney and then not listening to them. Take a listen here.
1: Talking about is the fact that here you have a woke company. They've been woke for years. I remember when Disney went after President Trump for immigration. This is nothing new. So here you have DeSantis who accepted 50,000 in political contributions from Disney. He went and put their executives and their lobbyists on prominent boards throughout Florida. And he went and basically gave the highest corporate subsidies in Florida history to Disney. But because they went and criticized him, now he's going to spend taxpayer dollars on a lawsuit. It's just like all this vendetta stuff. We've been down that road again. We can't go down that. Businesses were my partners in South Carolina. We didn't always get along. And I, you know, luckily, South Carolina is very anti-woke. But when you have a company like that, don't bring the citizen's taxpayer dollars into it. Pick up the phone, deal with it, settle it the way you should. And I just think he's being hypocritical. In so
0: you heard that, folks. <laughs> so she's upset that he's, he's rude. How dare you take money from Disney and not listen? DeSantis is the opposite of every Republican. The core problem we have With the double game among Republicans, is you think, all right, if they're to the left, then we'll just defeat them in the primaries and then that's it. But no, they use the industry money that they get from Pharma, from Disney, from Woke Capital to run not on Woke Capital's issue, they run on our issues. They use the money to lie to the voters so that they can get in there and govern in accordance with the moneyed interests that you know got them elected in the first place. Whereas DeSantis will get in there, take the money. Maybe run on our issues, but he'll govern on our issues against the woke capital. So he has this ability, you know, because other guys that don't govern in accordance with them, they won't get the money. Here he has the ability to raise the money and then do what he wants. To me, like, that's the best commercial for him ever. But I digress. I wanted to go back to the country that the boys of the 29th Infantry fought for. On Omaha Beach, also the 1st Infantry, 1st and 29th, but it was the 29th that was really the 1st with the 116th Infantry Regiment, General Norman Coda, the man that broke through the lines, popularized in the video uh, Longest Day that came out about 20 years later. Imagine them understanding that this is the country they'd be fighting for. So we went from the greatest generation to the sickest generation. And I wanted to go over some of the some of the long term effects that that we, we, we are seeing, just some of the latest data on the COVID shots that I think is really, really important to go through. So you think of this biomedical security state that was sadly built not too long after. Uh, the boys of the 29th Infantry stormed those beaches there at Omaha Beach. And it is just so sad looking at the results. We now have the sickest generation, even before the COVID shots. All these autoimmune and diabetes and heart and everything. Some of it's the food, some of it's the vaccines, the lifestyle, the mental illness. And then obviously, culminating with these shots... When we still have not actualized the damage from them, ethical skeptic estimates about five hundred fifty thousand deaths, based on the you know him monitoring the weekly CDC surveillance of mortality. You know the weekly mortality numbers, five hundred fifty thousand. Remember, about what is it 400, 420,000 or so died in World War II, the entire World War II. So we've definitely surpassed that in terms of vaccine injury, but this is just the short term. Remember, we have that Taiwanese study published um, in Nature that found a prolonged increased risk for vascular oculation, all ages, blood clots in the eyes, that they last for a long time, they penetrate every area of the body. For the week ending March 31st, This year, so when few people were getting these shots, England was still at a 21.5% increase level of excess deaths. Excess mortality in Quebec for those under 50 for the week ending April 8th was 71%. There was a 71% increase in excess deaths the single worst week of the entire pandemic. And I can go on and on with these numbers. And again, let's not forget that they knew this from day one. A new VA study, by the way, um, Igor Chudov had this on his Substack. It was published in the Journal of Infectious Disease. And this is important because the VA is where they have the Real statistics of who actually did and did not get the shots because all these numbers about vaccine efficacy, it's all predicated on the fact that there's a huge cohort that they don't know. And anyone for whom they don't know their status, they just automatically assume that they're not vaccinated. But anyway, it, it, it's a sample of roughly 90,000 elderly veterans. They found the rate of hospitalization for COVID among the unvaxxed was 158 Per 1,000. But among the double lacks it was 24.9. So not quite double, but what is that? 60, 70% elevated risk. And then even slightly higher, 26.7 per 1,000 among those boosted. This was from January through August 2022. By the way, they also found that Merck's molnipiravir, of course, didn't work. Um, And then we have all the EUA... EMA documents showing an 11.6% rate of miscarriages among the women they saw. The AEU is transferring transplacentally into kids. The fact that they knew about, as of the first year, they knew about 1.6 million adverse events in Europe. One third of them were classified as serious. 60% of them outcome is unknown and this is where we are but here's here's the thing that despite everything we know about this despite everything we know Republicans continued to fund this genocide they wouldn't even claw back the unspent funding on vaccines we talked about that during the debt ceiling deal and here we are almost a half a year into the GOP control. And there is almost nothing being done, even through hearings on the vaccine. Well, not almost, almost nothing being done on COVID at all, but the vaccines at all, as they continue to formulate annual boosters, pregnant women getting it, mixing it with RSV and flu, and then the RSV shots themselves. Same genocide. How you're fighting... They were storming the beaches to defeat people like Joseph Mengele. And based on that victory, off the backs of that victory, is what they crafted the Nuremberg Code. And here we have a much more flagrant violation of that Nuremberg Code. Right up front. Do you know that it turns out Josh Gutzko, these two Israeli professors, Josh Gutzko and um, Ratzaf Levy, they wrote a letter to, uh, to the editor of the British Medical Journal basically warning that we were all told, oh, this was a massive clinical trial for Pfizer, right? 44,000 people, but it turns out that only 250 of them were given the doses, the the, 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 manufa- the dosing that went through the manufacturing process that was ultimately given to people around the world. And the safety and efficacy comparison that they plan to do with those 250 has never been released. So those 250 is all that matters, and we don't have any data on it. That's just an example of the fraud that they openly commit. So they note in this letter, in October 2020 amendment to the protocol of Pfizer... Their clinical trial indicated that nearly all vaccine doses used in the trial came from clinical batches manufactured using what is referred to as process one. However, in order to upscale production for large-scale distribution of emergency supply, a new method was was developed called process two. The differences include changes in the DNA template used to transcribe the RNA in the purification phase, as well as the manufacturing process of the lipid nanoparticles. Notably, process two batches were shown to have substantially lower mRNA integrity. Remember, we had uh, microbiologist Kevin McKernan, who came on the show, uh, what was it, maybe two weeks ago we had him on, and he discussed this whole business of finding the DNA plasmid contaminants in the batches. That was only in, those contaminants would not have been in anyone in the clinical trial except for those 250 because that was from the previous process so that entire concern of the dna plasmids floating around was never really gamed out in the clinical trials and we noted at the time that that give that that you know if if you really have double stranded dna plasmids floating around if they're large enough they could give you an increased risk of anaphylaxis blood clotting uh, developing resistance to antibiotics gene integration and then obviously long-term production of more spike protein within the body that was never accounted for. Two documents obtained via FOIA describe the vaccine batches and lots supplied to each of the trial sites through November 19th, uh, 2020 and March 17th, 2021 respectively. According to these documents, doses from process two batch EE8493Z are listed at four trial sites prior to November 19th, and four other trial sites are listed with process two batch, whatever another batch. Both batches were part of the emergency supply, and they're basically known to have more problems. A recent study found significant variability in the rate of serious AEs across 52 different lots of community marketed in Denmark. So the entire thing was a lie. And again, as we talked about many times, they knew from day one, they prepared for the adverse events in VAERS, they contracted for it, and they just allowed this to go on. They knew about the problems in pregnant women, they knew about the problems with breast milk, and yet, right off the bat, right in front of our eyes, (coughs) they're doing the same thing with RSV. The Pfizer shot is approved. Major signals for Guillain-Barre syndrome. According to their own data, over 16,000 doses would need to be given to prevent 22 RSV cases, which are usually mild. There were 22 more serious AEs and three more deaths in the vaccine group, right in their own thing. And, And we could only imagine how they manipulated that. GSK, of course, had a a death in their trial for pregnant women due to acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. They found a 6.8% rate of preterm births in the trial group compared to 4.9% in placebo. The rate of neonatal deaths was also doubled. And Moderna's, of course, showed 200 adverse events, 10 of them being serious, per one mild case of RSV avoided. And here we go, and there is no effort among Republicans. The the, the, the key Republicans now are the Cardinals. The Cardinals are the subcommittee chairman on appropriations that will write the appropriations bills. The people that need to be contacted is Robert Adderholt of Alabama, is the subcommittee chair that oversees HHS, and... um. Andy Harris is the one who oversees the FDA. I know FDA is part of HHS, but that goes along with agriculture um, appropriation bill. And they need to hear from you that all funding for COVID and RSV shots need to be taken out. But yet here we are no closer, no closer to to to, to fighting for us because they screwed us. And And by the way, now I'm seeing that they're they're all talking about the need to now write the appropriation bills in accordance with the debt ceiling deal so basically there's one I, I and, and I said this so many times last week. It would have been better to simply do a one trillion clean debt ceiling increase than what they did. Because then we could have fought again on the appropriation bills without this fake specter of a debt default. It would just be a government shutdown. If if you didn't reach an agreement by September thirtieth. But now that they agreed to fake spending cuts for nothing and gave him, you know, an unlimited blank check for the remainder of his presidency. Guess what? Now we have no leverage to cut this stuff out. I mean, we could still do it and advocate they do it, and I will, but they're not going to listen. I just want to read to you from the New York Times how they make fun out of McCarthy and how Biden ate his lunch and all these talk show hosts. Oh, it was such an uh, amazing stroke of genius. Kevin McCarthy is amazing. This is the New York Times. Biden's debt deal strategy, win in the fine print. In pursuit of an agreement, the Biden team was willing to give Republicans victory after victory on political talking points, which they realized Mr. McCarthy needed to sell the bill to his conference they let Mr. McCarthy's team claim in the end that the deal included deep spending cuts, huge clawbacks of unspent federal coronavirus relief money, and stringent work requirements for recipients of federal aid. But in the details of the text and the many side deals that accompanied it, the Biden team wanted to win on substance. Okay? Now, I want you guys to understand this. I don't even think, I don't don't think the New York Times understands how prophetic they are here. But notice the contrast. Political talking points versus a win on substance. Democrats care about substance. They knew that Kevin McCarthy and by extension Republicans and by extension fake loser conservative talk show hosts only care about political talking points. So they're like, this is a great deal. If you think about it, we'll give you the talking points because that's all you care about. And we'll take the substance because that's what we care about. And that's what it was. And and they literally write it the way I explained the deal last week. The way administration officials see it, the full final agreement spending cuts are nothing worse than they would have expected in regular appropriation bills passed by a divided Congress. They agreed to structure the cuts so they appeared to save $1.5 trillion over a decade In the eyes of CBO, but thanks to side deals, including some accounting tricks, White House officials estimate that the actual cost could total as little as $136 billion. Much of the $30 billion in clawed back COVID-19 money was probably never going to be spent, Biden officials say, including dollars from an aviation manufacturing jobs program that basically ended. Meaning, like I said, all the important things like on the mitigation and the biomedical security and surveillance and of course the vaccines, that was not clawed back. At what at, at one point in talks, administration officials offered to include in the deal more than a hundred relief programs from which they were willing to rescind money. The final list spanned twenty pages of a ninety-nine page bill, and McCarthy championed it on the House floor. But because much of the money was repurposed for other spending, the net savings added up to only about eleven billion over two years. One of the programs had a remaining balance of just forty bucks. Mr. McCarthy's negotiators gave Biden officials the impression that to reach an agreement, they needed at least one talking point for every major aspect of the House Republican debt limit bill. That's what they do. They say, oh, what do you want? Oh, you want welfare? Oh, you got this. You want the IRS? But by the way, there's one thing that they didn't even touch with a fake bait and switch, you know, talking point, and that was the Green Energy New Deal that is completely in there. And that is crushing us. And again, it is disgusting how Republicans are coming with a standalone bill with no leverage point to get rid of the regulation against gas stoves. Yeah, right. So you, you uh, completely sabotage your leverage points. But then you have a standalone bill that you know won't go anywhere. Oh, here, we're fighting for you. That, my friends, is the Republican Party. And this is going to kill us, by the way. This is from the Daily Mail. Electric cars were held as the greener and cheaper way forward, but they actually cost more to run than petroleum vehicles. With rising electricity prices, recharging cars at major public points can now cost almost 50 pounds, British pounds, often making them more expensive to run than petroleum vehicles. We were lied to. We were lied to. And this is the problem. The Republican Party is like a COVID vaccine, and Trump at the helm of its leadership is like a COVID vaccine, negative, effective, you get all the side effects but they're negative effective, they are worse than having nothing, because they give the impression with the talking points, they take the industry money to run on our issues, then screw us in a way that gives us talking points, but gives the other side substance. Just utterly disgusting. One more story, just real quickly, unrelated, Uh, you know, as we're talking about the stupidest, sickest generation it's also the most brainwashed generation. There's an interesting Canadian poll that I saw um, where they basically pulled people on issues based on their vaccination status and it just shows you the mind control. meaning if you bought into that and and, and what it did was it compared people who got no vaccines, not to those who got two, because some of them, you know, they just they were lied to immediately. But those that got three or more, so you know there's, there's definitely a degree of brainwashing. Do you support tougher sanctions on Russia? Just 13% of UNVAX supported, but 86% of vaccinated. See, the two issues don't have anything to do with each other. But, you know, and, and it goes down the line with all this stuff, you know, providing Ukraine with fighter jets, just 15% of UNVAX, 52% of of, uh, of triple-vax-supported sending additional military aid. It's 82% of triple-vax, but just 18% of, of these guys. So the point is that you see that there are people, the divide is no longer between liberal and conservative. It's between people that will buy into the psychological warfare and the people who won't. Now, in Canada, it's a super majority of people who will. How many people do we have left that are brave enough? They don't have to storm a beach. They don't have to run into German machine guns. Just run straight through the psychological warfare and maintain your values, your sanity, your sense of normalcy, and actually be willing to fight for substance not just talking points. That's all we ask. We don't need a greatest generation. We just need normalcy to deliver us from the hands of this, the sickest generation. Folks, let me know your comments, questions, concerns on this and other topics. Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com is the email, at armconservative is the Twitter. Till tomorrow, God bless you all and thank you for listening.